Hello, Rich Top, and anyone else who may be checking out our podcast, uh, uh, we are really uh, glad to have you, and uh, welcome to the third sermon in the sermon series, Becoming Human. And uh, it's based on Matthew chapter 5, uh, where Jesus begins his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've been saying that life apart from God is a life that is less than human, and that being reconciled with God through Christ, uh, is, it restores us uh, to being fully human, and that once we're restored to God through faith in Christ, we are also in a process of becoming more and more human, and that process is working both inside and out, that the kind of transformation that uh, Jesus teaches about in the Sermon on the Mount is a a comprehensive, whole-person transformation where both inward attitudes, even emotions, are transformed and outward actions and words uh, are also transformed. And both inside and out, we are becoming more righteous. Um, and, And this is a big theme in the Sermon on the Mount, is this idea of righteousness. One of the ways that Jesus teaches on the topic of righteousness is to draw attention to some of the religious leaders uh, during his day, and and those religious leaders are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a very devoted group of religious leaders in the Jewish community in the first century. Uh, Pharisee literally means separated one. They were very serious about the Bible. They were very serious uh, that the Bible should be taught to everyone in Israel, uh, so much so that they came up with a concept of the synagogue uh, that was uh, a place where people could gather weekly on, on the Sabbath day. They could hear the word of God uh, read and uh, taught. And they really were very committed to making sure everyone was hearing the Bible, believing the Bible, uh, f- applying the Bible uh, to their everyday lives, and you hear that, and, and as you know, Bible believing, church planting Christians, we think that they don't sound too bad. And honestly, they're a lot like us. Um, we would have more in common with uh, the Pharisees than we would any of the other uh, types of religious leaders of that day. Uh, for instance, we'd have more in common with Pharisees than the Sadducees. Uh, who did not believe in the entire Old Testament and had really sold out to uh, Roman government power. Uh, we'd have more in common with the Pharisees than the Essenes, who uh, had separated themselves from society in order to get away from the bad people and to try to live holy lives. And we'd also have more in common with Pharisees than we would the Zealots, uh, who were focused Uh, only on a a kind of religious nationalism that included violent extremism. Uh, The more things change, the more they stay the same. In fact, Jesus shared so many things in common with the Pharisees that he received many dinner invitations from them, which in the first century was a sign of mutual acceptance, both that they, they would extend the invitation and that Jesus Uh, would honor that invitation. And so while the Pharisees were getting a lot right, they were actually missing the main thing, which was Jesus himself, both 
who Jesus was, the divine Son of God, and what Jesus had come to do through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so because they're so uh, close in terms of some of the things that they hold in common with Jesus, there's a lot of interactions between the Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, The main concern that the Pharisees had about Jesus was that he wasn't following the law like he should. They had uh, codified 600 laws that they had found in the Bible and were trying to do their dead-level best to follow everyone to the letter. Um, And they had made this list, they were checking it twice, and Jesus was definitely on the naughty list in their eyes. Uh, Many of their concerns were uh, about the Sabbath. And uh, this is some examples of uh, some interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees on one particular uh, Sabbath. This is from Matthew 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Matthew writes, At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So you can see there, they're kind of being the Sabbath police and uh, uh, confronting Jesus about his lack of, of following the law uh, correctly. On that same Sabbath, they have another interaction. This is Matthew 12, verse 9. He went on from there, entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you has a, had a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This wasn't just a friendly disagreement about secondary opinions uh, regarding the Bible. The Pharisees believed that the way to get God's people back on good terms with God was by making sure that everyone followed God's rules to the letter. And if Jesus was threatening this, he was an enemy to everything that they held dear. What they didn't understand was that their only hope to getting back on good terms with God was through Jesus himself. One of the interesting things about the Pharisees is that, on one hand, they were absolutely right. In order to be right with a holy and righteous God, we must be 100% righteous. What they didn't understand was how to get there. This morning, we want to look at how a person becomes 100% Righteous, or in other words, fully human. Jesus does this uh, in a a few ways. He says what uh, we don't do to become 100% righteous, and then he offers two ways we do become righteous. So, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, But to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota 
or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, number one, Jesus does not make us righteous or fully human by dismissing the law. One way that humans oftentimes try to meet God's standard of being 100% righteous is just to get rid of God's standard altogether. This is what the Pharisees thought Jesus was doing, and Jesus is adamant in this passage. He is not doing that. In fact, he emphasizes here that every detail of the law matters. All of God's word, every rule, every principle, every truth claim, it all matters. Every dot, every iota. These were the the smallest characters in the Greek language. And it matters. (laughs) Uh, Every detail matters uh, to those who are uh, teaching God's word. That if they want to teach God's word in a way that uh, is pleasing to God, they will teach every dot, every iota. Now, dismissing some of the details of God's word is actually a popular way of handling the Bible among some in the U.S. who profess to be uh, Christians. A um, couple examples. So one would be what's sometimes called the red letter Christian. Uh, these, these folks say, uh, I only follow what Jesus says in the Bible, which is sometimes printed in red letters in, in our Bible translations. Uh, and that everything else I don't really worry about. Or another example are the uncertain Christians. Uh, they would say, we can't know for sure what anything means, so we can't speak with any kind of authority about what is true, what is absolute, which is actually an absolute statement, which, which that's a whole other conversation. The problem with both of these, the red letter or the uncertain Uh, is that the place where they're getting whatever it is that they believe about Jesus is from the Bible, which pretty much makes the Bible worthless if you're throwing out parts of it. Now think about if I had a a physics textbook, and we're looking at it together, and we look at the first chapter, and I say, yeah, that's some great stuff there. You should memorize that. You should learn that. We get to the second chapter, and I say, "Mm, actually, don't believe the second chapter. The second chapter is all wrong. And in the third chapter, oh, that's a good chapter. In the fourth chapter, oh, no, that's all wrong. Just just tear that out of the physics textbook. Like, it doesn't, that's not true. And you'd finally, you'd say, well, well, how do you know that? And I would say, well, I have another physics book that is all right, and I go to that one to know if this one is wrong or right. And you would eventually throw out that book that has some wrong, some right, and you go to the book that is always right. Now, for the red letter or for the uncertain, the book that is always right is themselves. And so in order for the Bible to be a means that God uses for us to relate to him, we have to believe that every dot, every iota has been superintended by God. And I think there's some ways that we can consider how we got the Bible that can bring us to that conviction. That's a longer conversation. And I I encourage you, if you want to have that conversation, to reach out and we can talk more about that. But in order to really 
engage with the scriptures and with following Jesus with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, we really need to come to the conviction that every dot and every iota uh, has been superintended by God through the process of writing down language about God through human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is affirming this belief right here. When he says not one dot, not one iota, he's using language that's about language. He's speaking of the Old Testament manuscripts that were being used in the first century by those Old Testament believers. He was declaring the, that the, uh, these manuscripts had authority and should be trusted in, uh, believed upon. Um, and so this idea of, of sort of dumbing down the scriptures in order to meet the standard, this is not at all what Jesus uh, is pointing to. And number two, Jesus does make us righteous by fulfilling the law and the prophets himself. He says in verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So we just talked about. And then he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this is a bold statement. Jesus is saying that the law and the prophets, which is referring to the entire Old Testament, is being fulfilled by him. Now, how so? Well, at least a couple of ways. So one is Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets by fulfilling all the prophecies of the Bible about the coming Messiah. I mentioned two weeks ago that Jesus is preaching this sermon on a mount, not just to have a cool teaching venue, but to identify with Moses, the great lawgiver. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you, you can see that Moses himself was predicting a true and better lawgiver that was to come. Uh, for instance, in Deuteronomy 18, Verse 15, this is Moses writing. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling every one of those prophecies in the Old Testament. Not, not just what Moses prophesies, but what every other prophet, priest, king says about the coming Messiah. Jesus is fulfilling those 100%. Jesus is also fulfilling the law and the prophets by following the law perfectly. All 600 plus Old Testament laws, Jesus is getting them perfectly right. He's getting them right outwardly, but also inwardly. Next week, we'll read this from Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus is talking about one of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
not only is Jesus teaching us about the seriousness of internal unrighteous anger in the life of the disciple, uh, he's also letting us know that he himself (laughs) does not have internal uh, destructive unrighteous anger. And consequently, he does not express outward destructive uh, anger uh, from in, in his actions or his words. Jesus is righteous. He is holy, both inside and out. And he is perfectly fulfilling the law, both the letter of the law and the spirit in which it was intended. Now, you may say, well, good for him. <laughs> what does that matter to me? Well, it matters to you and me because it qualifies Jesus, the perfect law-abiding righteous one, to die on the cross as a sacrifice for the unrighteous ones. That's you and me. So not only (laughs) does Jesus die to pay the penalty for those unrighteous acts that we have committed, he also gives us his righteousness Uh, so that we, by grace, as a gift, can become 100% righteous before God. The Apostle Paul describes it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him we, that's you and me, might become the righteousness of God. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange Uh, that our sin is given or put on Jesus and he dies in our place and and pays the penalty for our sin. But not only that, his righteousness is then gifted to us by grace through faith. So if you've not received that forgiveness of sin and that gifted righteousness by faith, I encourage you, receive it today. You receive it like you would receive any other gift. You merely receive it. And so by faith, this is how you begin the Christian walk. You become a Christian is by receiving what Christ did for you in paying for your sin and gifting you righteousness. And then number three, Jesus does make us righteous by transforming us back into our full humanity. Uh, When he says here in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he says this, on one hand, he is pointing to our need for a gifted righteousness because the scribes and the Pharisees were the most righteous people that anyone knew. They They were trying their dead level best in order to do it. Uh, and, and they were still missing the mark. And so it was a reminder, you, we need a gifted righteousness. Um, and even though they were trying really hard, uh, it was obvious that they were not 100% righteous because they were trying to be righteous apart from a relationship with God. And whenever we do righteousness, we do religion apart from God, we either feel condemned with guilt and shame for not meeting our standard, or we, we feel puffed up because we fool ourselves into thinking we follow the law 100%. Uh, Jesus would often uh, confront the, the Pharisees uh, with this very reality. And so, like for instance, Matthew 23, uh, Jesus goes after the, the Pharisees uh, like a heart surgeon, a spiritual heart surgeon, getting at what's going on 
in their interior world. Matthew 23, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. He uses this illustration of a cup, right? A cup you see in your cupboard. It, it's, it's you know beautiful and clean on the outside. You pick it up, you look inside, and someone forgot to rinse the old coffee out. And it's, it's just this moldy, nasty inside. And there's no way you're going to drink out of that cup, even though it looks really good on the inside. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that's you. Your externals look pretty good. You're trying really hard. But internally, I can see. It's like Jesus has x-ray vision. He can see into their hearts and he can see uh, what's going on on the inside. Then he goes on with another illustration, verse 27 of, of chapter 23 of Matthew. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, this, this illustration takes a little bit of contextualization. Um, when first century Jews would bury someone, they would put rocks on top of the grave, they'd paint those rocks or that tomb that they had entombed a uh, dead body, they'd paint it white. And that was to signal to people to stay away because in first century Judaism, to touch a dead body, be near a dead body, you would become ritualistically unclean. And so they were very wanted to be very clear, hey, steer clear from this grave because you don't want to become ritualistically unclean and have to go through some, some cleansing and, and be separated from the community and from uh, God. And Jesus is saying, actually, that's a good picture for you, Pharisees. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You look really good on the outside, but if we open you up, what do we find? Rotting corpses. This is, what's, this is your spiritual inner life. And so... One of, one of the things that, that, that God is saying here, that Jesus is, is teaching here, is that true righteousness is not outward righteousness. That outward righteousness alone doesn't cut it. And that that should drive us to God for grace and forgiveness. It's sometimes hard for religious people to admit they need gospel grace, which, which was honestly me. I grew up as a religious kid. I thought... I'm a pretty good kid. Like, like I, I, I was doing a lot of good stuff. Um, I could see my what my friends were doing. I kind of compare myself. I think, well, compared to them, I'm doing pretty well. And I had my own sort of system of uh, justifying myself, making myself righteous. But truth be told, uh, if anyone knew what was going on inside my heart, I would have been so embarrassed. Right? My inner life really was, uh, it, it, there was, there was dead stuff going on in there. Uh, anti-God stuff that was going on in there, and, and I didn't want anyone uh, to know. And so outward religion, outward rules, it doesn't get at that. It's And, and outward uh, religion and outward righteousness, it doesn't cut it. Um, but the good news <laughs> is that inward righteousness is possible through Jesus. Uh, Jesus' expectation is that his followers are going to experience an interior transformation. Uh, and, and this includes inward attitudes and inward motives and inward emotions. Um, and this, again, should drive us to the grace 
that's given to us at the cross of Jesus Christ, not just to save us and give us a gifted righteousness, which of course it does, but also to give us ongoing grace to to transform us into a more practical righteousness on on a day-to-day basis, whereby our inner life is uh, continuous with our outer life, which is what we all long for. And honestly, we're not going to get the kind of outward transformation until we get the inward transformation. So we're not going to stop with the outward snapping at people until we get the inward anger dealt with, right? We're not going to stop the outward looking at porn until we get the inward lust dealt with. We're not going to be able to love our enemy outwardly until we inwardly actually forgive our enemies. Now, this level of holiness that Jesus is depicting, this is daunting but it's also exciting. He is saying to us, we can truly change from the inside out. We can become fully human. So how how do we respond uh, to this kind of uh, scriptural teaching? And I I think there's there's many ways, but here is a few thoughts on, on response. So one is to either receive for the first time or remember afresh the great exchange. Uh, this exchange that through faith in Christ you've been given, whereby your sin has been placed on Christ and he has died in your place to pay the penalty for that sin. But not only that, he has gifted you his righteousness. Your position before God is 100% righteous. And we said earlier at the beginning of the sermon, the, the Pharisees were right in terms of if we're going to be on good terms, on, on, on perfect terms, good terms with God, we're going to have to be 100% righteous. And there's only one way that's going to happen, and that is by being gifted righteousness through Christ. This, if you're a Christian, is your core identity. You have been made righteous by grace. Number two, in terms of response, we want to ask God for understanding in regard to the inward and the outward righteousness. The Pharisees had the Bible, and they were getting it totally wrong, right? Um, so what we want to have a true righteousness. Not, and, and again, it does include regular intake of the Bible. This is, this is the a means, the means, primary means that God uses uh, to help us grow in righteousness. I read this verse to us uh, a couple weeks ago, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um, the scripture is going to be the means that God uses to train us in righteousness, inward righteousness, Outward righteousness. My prayer is that our study of the Sermon on the Mount is is going to be used by God to accomplish this. That we're going to become more righteous inwardly, more righteous outwardly. And we're going to need God's Word to help us. But God's Word alone is not enough. And again, this is what the Pharisees missed. They, They were trying to read the Bible and become righteous really apart from God. We're also going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, love that. The translation there from the SV helper uh, is tra- translating the word parakletos, which is a word that Jesus likes to use for the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it's translated comforter, helper, uh, a guide or teacher. And so he is letting us know that that the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And so there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a working together of the Word, the Scripture, which has been inspired. It's been God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit is there to help us to grow in righteousness as we under, come to understand um, what, the, what true righteousness is. What true righteousness is. So ask the Helper. Ask the Spirit to help you to understand what righteousness is, inward righteousness, outward righteousness from God's Word. And then uh, thirdly, to ask God for help to respond righteously to to this righteousness when it is revealed in His Word. We don't just need help in understanding uh, what is righteous from the Word. We need help living it out once we understand it. And again, this, this should bring us back again and again and again to the opening line of the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are those uh, who are poor in spirit. That as we see this daunting vision for righteousness, both inwardly and outwardly, that we don't just think, oh, I'm just going to try harder, um, and, and, and then either become prideful about our efforts or become condemned or some weird combination of both. And I, I think as a young Christian in my 20s, um, I tended to worship my will. I just thought, oh, I just read the Bible and then I just try really hard. And yeah, I'm saved by grace, but kind of like being sanctified by effort. Um, and there's nothing wrong with effort, but if it is centered on our will, uh, we are basically Pharisees, and woe to us. Uh, but instead, uh, we want to exert effort that is uh, faith-driven, that we are trusting in, relying on gospel grace to help us uh, to repent from sin and to move toward God and God's righteous ways. And so my hope is that you will remember um, the righteousness you've been gifted or perhaps receive it for the first time as you listen to this, Um, but also uh, to ask the helper. Ask the helper uh, to help you understand what true righteousness is and then ask the helper uh, to help you respond uh, to that once it's been revealed. And so I send you out uh, as those who in Christ have been gifted righteousness And now, go and live righteously. Have a great week.